The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bible, if you would please, and open to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians chapter 6. And this morning we're going to step away from our regular study in Matthew for this special observance of Father's Day. I do understand that last week there was a comment made about our study in Matthew. I believe Hannah, who's going away to college in August, said that when she comes back in four years, I'll probably still be in Matthew. Uh, we could be. I don't know. We might be. But we're, gonna, we're going to go away from it here this morning. We're going to look at this scripture in Ephesians that was written by Paul that accentuates the command that God has given for us to honor our fathers. Now, if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, stand with me, please, as we read God's word. You've been up and down a lot here, so this is the last time, and you'll get to rest here in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 1, the apostle Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for the day that you've given us. We thank you again for our fathers that are here today. And we just ask, Lord, you'd open up our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, commenting about leaving the book of Matthew, I have been in sort of a debate with myself over the past few weeks about whether I would bring a Father's Day message. I thought maybe we would just stick with our regular study in the Gospel of Matthew. But then I thought, well, maybe fathers will be a little bit upset because I did bring a special message last month for Mother's Day. And I've learned over the years that one thing you never do is that you don't slight mothers on Mother's Day. That's just not a good thing to do. So I was a little bit afraid that fathers might be somewhat upset if I didn't do a special message for fathers today. But I know that men don't usually get upset over such things, do you? Uh, But we're going to talk about it anyway because there are a lot of good reasons that we want to talk about fathers. Father's Day has been a tradition in America for about 100 years. Uh, Back in 1917, on June the 17th, was the first celebration of Father's Day. In 1923, the third Sunday in June was chosen as the official day to celebrate Father's Day. And then in 1924, President Calvin Coolidge decided that Father's Day should be a national observance. So we're talking about just a little bit under 100 years has been the legacy of Father's Day, but it didn't really need the approval of the government for us to do this because God has already told us in his word that we ought to honor our fathers. Now, my message this morning could just as easily be called the responsibility of children because honoring our fathers is the duty of all children. But as I say that, I do know that there are some children, some of you may be even here today, that have a little bit of difficulty with this, uh, identifying with the command that God has given to honor our fathers. Some time ago on a Sunday morning, I was preaching a message, and after 
the message was over, a, a person came up to, to me with a problem. I, I was preaching about the Lord's Prayer, and the first part of that prayer says, Our Father, which art in heaven. And I'd just spoken about the Heavenly Father and how much that He loves us and the need that we have to honor Him and to reverence His name. And a visitor came up to me after the service, and he told me, he said, I really have difficulty thinking of God as a father. And he told me that he had been terribly abused by his father when he was young. And so he didn't think that father or his father especially was someone to be honored. And he said that it was a great barrier to him to to think of God as a father. That was really no comfort to him to, to think in those kinds of terms. Now that is really sad. That's a very, very sad situation because the father is to be reflective of God in the home. And when Paul says that we are to honor our parents, and here particularly talking about honoring our fathers, we would expect that fathers would be worthy of honor, that the father would be an example to children in the home. Now, you'll notice here in the fourth verse, Paul said that fathers should not provoke their children to wrath, but to nurture them and to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Now, the word nurture there actually means to discipline, Admonition means to rebuke, or it means in the warning of the Lord. If we wanted to put it in our common vernacular today, we would say, put the fear of God into them. This is what Paul is telling us. Now, this is not really the main part of my message today, but there is a way that fathers can put the fear of God into their children without actually making them afraid of their fathers. We have to be careful that we do this in the right way and that we think of God in the right way. So the first part that I want to talk to you about here, just for, just for a moment, uh, is not really the main part of the sermon, but Paul did say in that fourth verse that fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath. And there that means to cause them to be angry or actually to exasperate them. So I just want to give you some things to watch out for that cause anger or exasperation in children. Anger in children is caused by a home, a home life without love, affection, forgiveness, and kindness. Those are characteristics that are to be the the regular order in the home so that children really ought to be excited to see their dad. They really ought to want to feel his hugs and to sit on his lap. That there would be that kind of kindness and love that children wouldn't be afraid of their fathers. You know, I remember when I was a child that I knew what time that my dad would be home So I would walk up the street, and I would wait for him to come. I would see his car come around the corner. And as he turned that corner, I would just jump up and down with excitement that he was coming home, and he knew that I'd be there waiting for him. And so he'd pull the car along beside the curb, and he'd open the door, and he'd let me get in, and he'd let me sit on his lap. And then I would steer the car down the street towards home. Now, today, they would have put him in jail for reckless endangerment, but... uh, Uh, You know, I I should have been sitting in the car seat. That's what we would say today. But I tell you, I felt more secure and more safe sitting in my father's lap than I ever would have uh, felt sitting in a car seat. You know, I think what we do today, we try to protect ourselves too much and we sort of take the fun out of life. But I remember my dad in that way and just the love and the kindness and the affection that he had for me. And so that's really what we need to have in our homes. And if you don't have that in the home, that is exasperating to children. It makes them angry. Secondly, preoccupation with other interests so that you don't give them time. 
that can cause children to be exasperated. Now, my wife is looking at me back there, and if I were to roll back the clock 30 years, here's the one thing that I would have changed in my home is that I would have given more time to my children. Even church work can take you away from your children, and it can be harmful. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me about that, though, that God's work and God himself always comes first. And I don't think that there are really too many fathers that are in danger of spending too much time in church work instead of with their families. I mean, I haven't really seen that happen in our church, at least, that uh, we don't have too many people that are just over-consumed and unbalanced with the time that they spend with church work. But I will caution you about this, that never let your children get out of church. I mean, church is very important. I mean, as long as they're in the home, do your best yourself to be consistently in church because if you don't, then they'll grow up just like you, thinking that church is not really all that important and it's optional. And they'll learn what you taught them, that church is okay just as long as we don't have other things that we have to do. When all the other things are done, then we can go to church. But then also, on the other hand, you can become so wrapped up in all the other things that you do that you don't give time to your children. Now, when my children were growing up, I worked full-time, and then I came home from work, and I hit the books, and I would study all day long on Saturdays. I would spend my time studying. After work during the week, I would come home at night, and I would sit there and study. And so I, I, I didn't spend the time with my kids that I should have, and my wife thanked the Lord for her that she gave the kids a lot of attention. And if they grow up, grew up uh, being what they should be, she had probably more to do with that than I did. So I, I'm just confessing my faults to you today. I mean, it's all right for me to stand up here and tell you what I did wrong so that you don't do the same things. I was consumed with church work. I was one of those that did do that. And so I, I took away from family time in order to do it and wasn't always the best thing to do. You know, with children, love is often spelled T-I-M-E. That's the way they look at it a lot of times. Love is T-I-M-E. Now, let me give you just one more. The, the third one is hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. Children are exasperated by hypocrisy. Don't let your kids see a different dad at home than the one that they see in church. Be consistent about your walk with the Lord. Give your kids something that they can build on. Uh, give them a model that shows how a person is to live for Christ. And there are many children that leave church because they, they've seen that their home is not the same as it was in church, that the church is full of hypocrites, and the biggest problem or one of the biggest problems is their own parents. They didn't act like parents should act in the home, and they came and they acted a different way in church. So don't do things in your home that would shame you in the church. Don't talk with profanity in your home. Uh, don't do it in your social networking and then come and sit in church and act holy and pious as if you're God's best child. Don't be a hypocrite in front of your kids. Those are things that they will remember about you. So those are just a few thoughts I wanted to give you. Those are free of charge uh, getting into the message today. Now, what I really want to call your attention, though, is to the duty of children towards their parents and particularly to fathers. Now, mothers are included in this, but we are uh, here on Father's Day, so we'll think a little bit more about that. But just remember, we're including uh, mothers in this as well. 
Now, the first thing that I'd like you to notice today is the lifelong duty of children. The lifelong duty. And I call this lifelong because there's none of us that stops being children. No matter how long that we live, we're always going to be the children of our parents. Now, sometimes there are children that would like to divorce their parents. And strangely enough, that scenario has actually been played out in our courts, that we do have laws that allow for the emancipation of children from their parents. Well, I'm thankful for this, that I wasn't in the situation of that man that I talked to you about earlier, that I would never have thought about wanting to get away from my father, not to have anything to do with him because he mistreated me. I mean, I was like uh, some of my kids and maybe some of yours that I would have stayed at home forever if my dad would support me. I mean, that was fine with me. But, um, you know, I think about him and I, I think about what a good father that he was. No matter what happens, I'm always going to be his child. Now, my father is gone now, but there's not a day, there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't think about him. I wish that he was here, that I could talk to him. I, I wish that I could still have the benefit of his wisdom. He was a pastor for 40 years, and you don't know how many times that I would like to just go back to sit down with him and talk about the Bible. We used to spend hours traveling together, and we would sit in the car, and with nothing else to do, we'd talk about the Bible. We'd talk about Scripture, and we'd discuss it back and forth. And those were just golden nuggets of wisdom that I got from him, and I'm just so thankful for the way that he taught me. In 1998, he planned to visit California for the first time since we'd moved here. But one month before he was able to come, he passed away. And so to this day, I still think about him, uh, and I consider my actions because I don't want to do anything that would cause my father shame. Even today, he's been gone for, for 12, 13 years now, and I wouldn't want to cause him shame. I wouldn't want to reproach his good name. I said he was a pastor, and so I think about that. So I really want to honor him. So for those of you that have living parents, uh, there, there are two words that the Scriptures have for you. The Apostle Paul gives us two very basic thoughts in this in this scripture, that no matter what culture it is, no matter where you live, no matter what part of the world that you might come from, all people, modern and ancient, have practiced these two things, and I think that's be, it's because that it's part of the moral code that God has written on our heart. Now, the Bible teaches that, that even without Christ, that we know something about God, that he has put a moral code in our heart. And I think this is really part of it. Now, the first word that Paul gives us in this text is to obey. And he tells us to obey because it is right. Now, if you need a, just a simple concrete, as little explanation needed for the reason that a person should obey their parents, this is it, that Paul says here, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, obey because this is right, that it's built into our moral fibers. I said, I think this is part of the moral code. Now, in the fifth chapter, Paul had been discussing uh, the family. He was talking about husbands and wives. And it went all the way back to the very beginning of time. And he talked about how God had had set this up in the Garden of Eden, that marriage was, was formed there in the Garden of Eden. And what Paul was showing is that it's a very basic thing. It's a very foundational thing. And just as foundational as marriage is, so is this command that God has given for the obedience of children. God says, this is right. Well, in other words, he says, this is righteous. 
So you don't have to look for the psychological reasons to do it. You don't have to explore the deep recesses of the mind to try to figure out what the long-range effects will be. God just simply says, this is right. This is what you're supposed to do. And when God says that it's right, it means that it's based upon his standard of righteousness. And so his declarative statement alone, if there was nothing else that would tell us to do this, the declarative statement of God alone tells us that children are to be obedient to their parents, and conversely, parents are to demand that from their children. And so for the child, the primary reason to obey is not because it honors mom and dad, although it does, The primary reason to obey is not because it protects your rear end, because it might, but the primary reason for children to obey their parents is because the Word of God says this is pleasing to the Lord. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And the primary meaning of that phrase is that it's for the Lord's sake. Obedience to parents is reflective of obedience to the Lord. So the principles of obedience are good for all children, whether they're saved or lost. But we do have to recognize here that Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus. So he is speaking primarily to save people. So I would say to the few children, teenagers, that we have in this service this morning, that God expects you to obey, that you understand right up front that when parents tell you to obey, you're not only just following their directive, but you're also following the Lord. So it ought to be readily apparent that every time that you disobey your parents, you are also disobeying the Lord. And I hope that you understand this. Now, some of, most of you are older and your, your kids have left, but I know that, that many of you still have some kids in the home. And a good reason, the very best reason, I think, for parents to teach their children to obey is because... This is God's word. This is what God says. So you don't let children get into your face and say no, because when they disobey you, it is sin. As a parent, you're letting them sin. Now, often when I interview children about salvation, uh, I ask them if they understand what sin is. And so I ask them, when you disobey your parents, what is that? And almost all the time, when a child comes in to talk to me, about salvation, when I ask that question, they'll say, well, that's wrong. And I say, what is that? And they say, well, that is sin. It's a sin against God. And that's right. Not to obey parents is a sin against God. Now, I think that there are many parents that take it too lightly. And they actually facilitate the sin of their children by allowing them to disobey. Now, the Bible teaches that we are to take the appropriate measures and we are to insist on obedience when children won't obey. And the seriousness of this sin is is shown by the Word of God in statements like Paul makes in Romans chapter 1. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 1. In verse number 18, Paul said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, you see the setting here that he's giving us, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Then he goes on from there, and he speaks about the foolishness of men who have rejected God's revelation, and they made idols to worship. And then he proceeds to a list of sins and the rejection of of, of heathens to what God says. And it's amazing the kinds of things that show up in the list that Paul gives here. 
Now listen to verses 29 through 32. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now there you notice that in the middle of the list, he says disobedient to parents. And the conclusion that Paul makes there is they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now that seems pretty serious to me. Now obviously God's not telling you to kill your children when they disobey. If that was true, none of us would be here today. Uh, Adam's kids never would have lived beyond the first generation. But it does point out to us the seriousness of being disobedient to parents. And so if you're looking for a reason why any child should be obedient, do it because it's right. It is righteous. And whenever you're lax in discipline and you permit disobedience, then remember that you're also guilty of fostering what the Bible calls one of the worst sins that is possible. Obey because it's pleasing to the Lord and it is right. Now, before I move on from that point, let me emphasize that the teaching here is reflective of the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. And, and if we miss that particular part of it, we've really missed it all because everything that we do, we want to come back to. Uh, all of this is reflective of things that God's teaching and the relationship that we have with Him. And the, and the example that we have of obedience would be Jesus Christ Himself, the Son of the Father, and how He was obedient to His Heavenly Father. Jesus rendered perfect obedience to the Father. Everything the Father gave him to do, he he completed to perfection. He kept all of God's laws perfectly. And that was absolutely necessary for us because what Christ did was to earn righteousness that God could impute to us for our justification. So if Christ had ever committed a sin, you and I could never be saved. This is how important that obedience is. But it wasn't just what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Uh, we, We don't just talk about what Jesus did when he became 30 years old. But no, he had a pattern in his life prior to that time. Now, if you would, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read a few uh, passages or a few verses of Scripture here. We don't have anything written in Scripture about Christ's childhood except the record of his birth. And then what we read here in Luke chapter 2, which is an incident that happened when Jesus was 12 years old. But this one incident is indicative of his entire childhood. And I think this is the reason that that God put this in the Scripture for us. So if we look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, it says, Now his parents, this would be Mary and Joseph, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. 
And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And that simply means, didn't you know this? I need to be about my father's business. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Now, two things are particularly notable about Jesus' obedience. First of all, he was obedient to his heavenly father. He said, I must be about my father's business. So even at that very young age, he recognized who his heavenly father was, and he rendered to him perfect obedience. But perhaps the most remarkable thing that we find about the passage is what it says in verse number 51. It says, and he went down with them, that's with Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. So here you have the all-powerful Son of God that even at the age of 12 years old possessed all of the power to make men subject to him that he ever needed. He could have done that, but instead what Jesus did was to willingly subject himself to the human authority of Mary and Joseph. And I think that says volumes to us. What a great example this is, that Jesus demands our obedience just like he gave obedience when he was a child. Now, do you see that he subjected himself to God's declared authority? And God has the right to delegate authority, and that's what he's done in the home. God has delegated his authority to mothers and fathers, and the fathers particularly as the spiritual head of the home. God has delegated to them authority, and children are to be under that authority of their parents. Now, we learn these principles of submission. Chapter 5 and chapter 6 in in the last part of 5 and and 6, these are about submission in all different kinds of areas, and it tells us that we are to submit, we are to be obedient to the proper authority. So Jesus recognized that, that the heavenly Father had placed him in a position to be under the earthly authority of Mary and of Joseph. So obedience, this is the first word that we're given here of the duty of children. Secondly, Paul gives another word, and the second basic word that God has written on the human heart is the word honor. And so he goes on to speak of the duty of honor and the reason why that children should honor their parents. And here's the reason. Honor because it is rewarding. Honor refers to the attitude of obedience. Now, it means that children should hold their parents in the highest regard. Honor speaks of value. Now, we give honor to the things that we respect the most, to the things that we value. Now, the Ten Commandments gives us the duty of honor. The fifth commandment is this, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Honor for parents is foundational for respect in all other areas of life. Children that do not respect the authority of their parents will neither respect other authority. Now, this is why that you have disobedience of children in school. This is why they misbehave. 
They don't respect the teacher's authority because they never learn to respect their parents' authority. And so what I'm telling you, that if you don't discipline your children and create respect for authority in the home, then it won't be shown elsewhere. The foundation of this has to be established. There must be authority in the home. Now, an interesting part of this, as it's given in the Ten Commandments, is that we usually group this commandment, the fifth commandment, we usually group it with the second half of the commandments, the second division. We usually say that the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God, and the last six commandments have to do with our relationship with man. And so we would take the fifth commandment, and we would group that with the last commandments as having to do with the relationship with man. But an interesting thing about this is that the Jews didn't do it that way. But rather, they grouped the fifth commandment, they divided them equally, and they grouped the fifth commandment with the first four as having to do with our relationship with God. And they thought that this was so foundational that to disobey parents was a direct, uh, a direct uh, disobedience to God the Father. So that affected man's relationship with God. So disobedience to parents is also spiritual rebellion to God. And I think that could be easily extracted from what we read about Jesus in the passage a moment ago, that he understood that if he did not obey Mary and Joseph, that it would be such disrespect to his heavenly father, it would be spiritual rebellion, lack of honor for the heavenly father. But then Paul goes on to add something to the statement about honor. He quotes the fifth commandment, and then he says, which is the first commandment with promise? And that's where the reward part comes in. Honor because it is rewarding. Now, it's somewhat hard to figure out what Paul means by this when he says that this is the first commandment with promise because we look at the others that follow and 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 don't contain any promise at all. But here he says there is a promise that is attached to it. Definitely there is a promise. So what does he mean by first? What does he mean the first commandment with promise? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones suggested that this means the first commandment in rank. And his reasoning is that if this commandment is disobeyed, that it leads to chaos, it leads to collapse, it leads to the destruction of our society. And so to reinforce the command, God gave a promise to go with it. Now notice what the promise is. This is in verse 3, and it sums up the ending of Exodus 20, verse 12. He says, That it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. So this is a promise that if the command is obeyed, God will give a long life. What does that mean? Does it mean that you'll live 75 years instead of 80? Does it mean that if you're extra good at obeying this commandment, that you may live to be 90? Maybe you'll live to be 100 years old. Well, that's not really what he's talking about. You might live a long time. Uh, Obeying your parents could be very conducive to living a long life. Adult was giving an example, I think, of Brian uh, in the earlier service and talked about if Brian had adopted a teenager into his home, what would he do if that teenager didn't obey him? You know what I was thinking? Brian's got a lot of guns. So it could be very serious for a child not to obey in that home. But what does he really mean by this? Well, he doesn't mean that you'll live a long time in that way, but he's speaking about God's telling us that when you obey like you're supposed to, that you will live out the best of your days. It means that you'll have 
a, a greater capacity to enjoy the length of your life. Now, I know this is what he's talking about because I've known some very, very godly people that seemed to do everything right in the home. They obeyed this command just as they should, but they lived short lives. They died very early. Well, young and old, that's terms of accounting in, in our world. God thinks in a different way. God doesn't think about time in that sense, but he's telling us here that if we will do this, if we'll obey the commandment, that we'll have the capacity to enjoy our lives no matter how long that life will be. Now, before we get to the next part of the message, I want to tie all of it back to the primary point, which is the lifelong duty of children. The lifelong duty is that throughout your life, you are to honor your parents, honor your father, and that goes way beyond the time that you're actually in your parents' home. You're to honor them as long as they live. Now, the principle is illustrated by Jesus in Mark chapter 7. I'd like you to turn there if you would. And in this passage, Jesus and his disciples had been accused of breaking a Jewish tradition that said that they must wash their hands before they eat. Now, uh, we, we studied that in the Gospel of Matthew some time ago, and that passage, of course, is not saying that Jesus and his disciples were not very hygienic because washing hands before you ate had nothing to do with that for the Jews. But this was just one of those laws that they had instituted. It wasn't a Mosaic commandment. It's just that the Pharisees had put that in, and uh, it was one of those hyper-fundamental laws that they said they had to keep. So Jesus answered the question, well, why don't your, your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And he answered that question by raising another issue. And he said, why do you worry about all the extra rules and at the same time, you go ahead and you break the, the, the direct, unequivocal commands of Moses. And so he reprimanded them for all of their silly traditions, but he also taught them a higher principle pertinent to our study. Now notice verse number 9 in chapter 7. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is korban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, the Jews had also made up a rule that said that if they dedicated their money to the temple, then they couldn't use it for any other purpose. And what they did was they used that rule to excuse themselves from uh, any type of charitable giving. So if their parents had a need, they would say, well, we can't help you because we've dedicated our money to the temple and it has to go there. Well, the odd thing about the law was that they didn't actually have to give it. They just had to promise that they would. And so they use it as an excuse. Korban means dedicated. So they use that as an excuse to circumvent all the charitable giving, including what they would give to their parents. Now, Jesus nails them on this nonsensical rule, and then he teaches the principle that no matter how old that our parents are, we must honor them, and if they're needy, we are to help them. Now, this is one of the things that too many children today forget. 
They forget what their parents did for them in raising them. And then when their parents are old, they neglect them. And they won't help them, either emotionally or financially. Well, part of honoring your parents is to love and respect them for your entire life. To be there for them just as they were there for you. They brought you into the world, and so you're to help them as they leave this world. And I don't mean rush them out so you get their life insurance. That's not what I mean. I mean help them in their later years when they really do need help. Well, let's go on to the next part. I'll try to make this brief. There's a lifelong duty of children. And secondly, there's the life-learning demeanor of children. Now, the natural attitude and the demeanor of all people is rebellion. All of us are that way. We know that we should obey, but we're self-centered and we have a rebellious spirit. Now, if you leave a child alone, he won't pick up traits of obedience. If you leave him alone... He will sin, and he will do things he's not supposed to do. And you experience that the first time you tell a child no. When a child learns to understand what no means, then they also understand they don't like no. And so they test you, and they do their very best to find out how strongly that you're going to enforce no. And so you never have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to steal. You don't have to teach them to cheat. Human nature does just fine to teach them all of those things. But there there are some simple statements I think that kids need to know that help us to understand why parents say no. So for we have a few teenagers over here in our congregation, and some of you parents, you probably need to hear this too. I don't know about these families. We have the Lenos kids, and we have the Andrews kids, all girls. And that's a trying thing. It has to be. So this may be helpful here. Those are good kids, though. I'm just kidding. First statement. First statement. Kids need to learn, please me now or pay for it later. Please me now or pay for it later. As you go through life, what you do now will come back on you later. Now, that's a very simple principle that was taught early in scriptures. In the book of Numbers 32.23 The Word of God says there, Moses said, Be sure your sins will find you out. What you do now, you'll pay for it later if it's the wrong thing. So children that are disobedient, you're going to pay for that. And when you're very young, how do you pay for it? Well, you pay for it with a spanking. Children get spanked when they're young. And and let me add just here, uh, add this to, to, to the message here. Parents, you need to use spanking. And I know it's hard sometimes. Because some of you let the, you know let the boys wear their pants down around their knees here, so when you head for the rear end, you hit them actually at the back of the knee instead of where it's supposed to go. So you keep searching; it's in there somewhere, the place to you know apply the discipline. Keep trying, but if for no other reason, you ought to spank because the Bible says that you ought to do it. It's, it's very clearly in the Bible. Now, if you're a parent that all the time uses psychology timeouts, little speeches, and things like that. This might be good in some instances. But if that's all you ever do, your kids will turn out to be brats. Dr. Spock wrote a book. God wrote the Bible. And Dr. Spock had about this much time to deal with what he knew, and God had all of human history to deal with people. He knows exactly what he's doing. You are not going to improve upon God's method. God knows what he's doing. 
Well, as you get old, I know you're saying, well, you're meddling now. I'm sorry, but I had to say that. Now, as you get older, you're, you're not likely to get spanked. I mean, you, you know, you don't get spanked, but you still have to pay. You go to college, if you don't do your homework, they don't spank you. They flunk you out. If you get drunk and you get into a car accident, they don't spank you. They throw you in jail. If you are late for work, like you miss your parents' curfew, they don't spank you at work. They fire you. And so you may have to pay for it in in ways that your parents would never have done. I mean, your parents may give you a second chance. There are a lot of things that happen in life that you don't get a second chance at. What you do now, you're going to pay for later. Second statement, what hurts now will help later. I spoke about the word no just a minute ago, and some of you teenagers may may think that your parents come pre-programmed with a no button. And so you ask, and they say no. And you ask again, and they say no, but I really, really want no. I really do need to do this. I really need to date him. No. I really do want to wear this. No. I'll be such a nerd if I don't wear these. No. You don't wear that. When your parents say no, it might hurt now. But what they're doing is saving you from a lot of heartache later. Now, I remember when our kids were little, that they would crawl around on the floor. Sometimes they'd head for the electrical outlet on the wall. And this is why, you you know, you see these uh, little dummy plugs that they put into electric outlets. And so the kids would crawl around the floor, and they'd head for the outlets, and they'd have something in their hand. And they'd seen us, you know, kids are imitators, They'd seen us stick things into, the, into that wall plug. And they think, well, it must be all right to do that. So I'll just stick something in there. So they're crawling around the floor. Let's suppose they have a fork. And they're crawling towards the plug. And you see the little child going over there. And you run over and you say, wait, 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 just a minute. Let me show you how to do that. You turn it just sideways a little bit. And it fits in much better if you do it like this. Well, no, you wouldn't do that. You'd slap the child's hand and you say, no, don't do that. But why do you do that? Because you know what's going to happen if they do. And children need to learn. Your parents have had a lot of experience. They've been lit up a few times by their bad, by their bad habits and things that they've done. And so they've already learned these things. And they're just telling you, don't do them because we have the experience and we don't want you to fall into the same holes that we have fallen into. So we need to learn that as well. We, we need to learn that, that if it hurts now, it's probably going to help you later. Now, let me give you one last one uh, that we'll deal with here. third statement is learn, then leave. This is good advice for children. Learn, then leave. Don't stay at home forever. Children get training in the home, and then it's time for them to go out on their own. And it's not that parents want children to leave, I don't think. Maybe that's the case with some as a father, I didn't really want my children to leave. And, and it's not about demanding that they keep household rules and trying to hold them down and trying to break their spirit and things like that. That's not what this is about. Th- this is training to give kids something to live by so they go out on their own and they start applying the principles that they've learned at home. Now, most parents, as I said, don't want to kick the kids out. I would gladly have kept my kids around for a much longer time. I've got one that's still at home, and he's going to be leaving soon. But, but I'm, not, I'm not upset because my children wanted to stay a little bit long. If they did, that's, that's all right. But what I'm trying to do is try to successfully launch them out for their own careers to do 
what they need to do in the world. Now, we have an example of it from nature. It's like a, like a, a mother eagle with her eaglets in the nest. And, and this is the way that a mother eagle does. She pushes that little eaglet out of the nest. And the, and the eagles build their nest in high places. And she pushes that little eagle out of the nest and it starts to fall. And it doesn't know how to fly. And so the mother eagle swoops down and she catches that little eaglet on her back. And she flies it back up and puts it into the nest. And then as soon as that little eagle thinks, oh, I'm safe now, the mother pushes him out again. And there goes the eagle straight down, and she, the little eaglet. And then the mother swoops down again right underneath of it and picks it up on her back and takes it back up to the nest. And that goes on and on until that little eaglet finally learns to spread its wings and to fly. With precision and grace, it learns how to fly. And this is what parents do. Gradually, we teach our kids through, you know, we, we have control of them, we have restrictions on them, but gradually we release some of those. When they begin to learn what they need to know, we release some of that. But we keep correcting them. We keep on correcting them till they know that they've learned enough and then they're ready to leave. And so for those of you that are older now, what you really need to do is to look back at your father and see what he taught you about life. If he was a good father, he taught you life lessons. And one of the most important lessons that you can learn is that you can make your father happy by honoring him. You can make him happy by respecting him for helping you. You do it by obeying him. No matter how old that you are, you're still a child of your father, so respect him and honor him. So you can still do that today. Even though you're no longer in the home, you can do it by your life. If you're crude and you're rude, and if you're mean and you're nasty, if you talk bad and you act like a heathen, who gets the blame for that? People look at you and they say, well, your parents sure must have done a miserable job of raising you. Look at the way that you act. No, if you love your dad, you honor him by doing what is right. Children, obey your parents because it's right. To honor your father is also to honor God. Now, let me give you just one more word to the fathers. Remember this, fathers, you are Christ in the home. And I don't mean that you're God, even though you're Kids may accuse you of that sometimes. You're, you're the spiritual leader of your home. So what you need to do is to watch out for those things that are in verse 4 that will provoke your children. Teach them to do what is right. And at the same time, be the father that they remember for love and kindness and forgiveness that have just made the home a place of affection where they love to be. Be the father that in later years they'll want to come home to. And they'll want to come and visit your house and fill it up with grandchildren, like ours has been this past week. Fill, fill it up with grandchildren. And here's the thing that I think we learn here from this, is that you, fathers, you will live out the best of your days if you've raised your children like they need to be raised. Because when they come home, they'll want to make you happy. So God knows how to deal with us from both ends. He knows how to deal with from the end of the children that it's best for children to obey, that it's going to make us happy in our homes, and it's best for fathers to be the kind of fathers they need to be. The Bible teaches us that righteousness is always rewarding. Whether it's in this life or in the life to come, righteousness honors 
God. And part of being righteous is to honor your Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in your word today. We thank you, Lord, again, as we mentioned earlier, for godly fathers. We praise you, Lord, for those that wanted to raise us in the fear, the nurture, the admonition of the Lord, and really make us to be good followers of you. Lord, we pray that you'd work in the hearts of every father here today, that they would continue to be that. And then we pray for children. Most of us are older here, but help us still to remember that we are to honor our fathers. We'll always be children, so help us to honor them as we should. And then, Lord, we also pray for anyone here today who doesn't know you as Savior. We talked about the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ and that's what he came to this world to do. He came to live a perfect life, never a sin in his life, in order that he might be able to make us righteous through his sacrifice on Calvary. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray if there's anyone here who hasn't been to Calvary, to bow there and to meet you as Savior and Lord, that they would do that today. Bless us, Lord, as we sing. Bless our fellowship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org